listener fan thingies, this is Darwin from Darwin's Deviations. And, uh, what was the line again? Oh, no. You ruined it. What kind of a man are you? You can't even make a short clip. Shut up. Darwin, why are we even doing this? Because we're desperate. You're listening to Pods Like Us. What is their show even like? I don't know. Does anybody even listen to them? We all just want to mooch off the free marketing, but... I hope I don't regret associating with them. No worries, Darwin. They'll be the ones regretting it. Pods like us won't let me cuss, but if you want profanity, check out my depravity. Um, Darwin, that sucks. Shut up. Hello and welcome to Pods Like Us. I'm Martin Quibble, known to my friends as Marv, and this time I'm speaking with the Crescent Hair, otherwise known as Christina. Hey, Christina, thanks for speaking with me today. Hey, no problem. I'm glad I'm finally on here. Me too. So <laughs> for, for anybody listening, Christina is an incredible artist who um, most of it is based on, um, um, how, do, how do I word the the art that you do um i do a lot of like weird stuff like cryptids witchy stuff magical stuff like i don't do people portraits all my stuff is really kind of out there and based on like cryptid lore paranormal things like that well you say that but at the same time when when i look at it i there's there's an emotional response which i think is the best thing about art of any sort that the best thing about it is that when you look at it or when you listen to any piece of music you watch a, a, a film it that it that it brings an emotion to you as the person perceiving it and i'm guessing as the person who's creating it as well yeah i have all sorts of different things that i go through when i create a piece um I did a recent episode um, with Tracing Owls where we went through this whole, like I went through this whole step-by-step of what I do to create something Um, and all these little secret little Easter eggs I put in them and how I think about things um, when I'm creating. And one of the things that kind of tripped him up, not tripped him up, but he was, I, I said that when I'm drawing, when I'm drawing, I don't take into account anything human yeah like it's because i don't draw people but then in a way i do take into account humans because i'm taking into account well how somebody is going to interpret my art or how they're going to you know look at it and accept it or whatnot yep for anybody interested so tracing owls is a show that occasionally christina will in in essence, you're almost like a co-host of it with <laughs> with, with with Vuk, who people will know as Darwin. Yes, um, we used to do it a lot more, but we took like a break. We had a lot of stuff going on, so it was like a maybe a five six month break. But yeah, yeah I mean, he would be in the morning. He'd be like, "Hey, do you want to jump on this afternoon? We're going to talk about such and such and such." And I'd be like, "Yeah," and then he'd be like, "Well." do you have any art for that? And I'd be like, no, but let me make up something. So the last time I drew something specifically for tracing owls was the Coonigator, which was yes. this ridiculous, <laughs> this ridiculous, I guess, cryptid um, okay. folklore legend. 
I mean, yeah, that was interesting. But usually if I'm on there, if I don't have something drawn to um, accompany the subject, I'll draw something or he'll use something of my past work or whatnot. So, but yeah, we try to do things when we can. Well, when you were talking about the, um, how you were, talking with with Vuk about how you create the art and where that comes from it brings to mind um Todd uh Todd Purse who who's mm-hmm. also an artist and he has this show I don't do, do you know about his show work create magic where yeah. it's about five minutes and he'll and each show if you go to Spotify you'll see the artwork that he's talking about that he's created and he'll go into detail of what he was feeling at the time, where the inspiration came from. And it's it's a fascinating five-minute listen. Oh, yeah. I listen to it. Uh, me and him talk. Um, we are in this little group on Instagram where we talk about things and throw things around. Um, me, him, Vuk, um, we were involved in a little roundtable on another podcast. I'm okay. not sure when it's going to be released, but... Um, so we we've gotten to talk a lot about things. Um, yeah, his stuff is really cool. I like the like whimsical quirkiness of it. Um, and it's sort of it's out there and I love it. <laughs> so. But, but, but I mean, does it extend further back than this? Because I do know that me, yourself and Vuk and pro- possibly Todd as well. We have a love of the X-Files. Is that where it stems from, or did were you did you have a, an interest in in that before then? Okay, so um, forever. Um, I've been a weird little kid since I was like eight years old. Okay. Um, this is on my Instagram as a highlight because somebody asked me why I was weird, and I told them. So basically, I was like seven or eight, and my grandmother used to get. We called them rag mags uh, where mm-hmm. I'm from. But they were like National Enquirer, Weekly World News, you know, all those questionable um, publications. And I remember in the back of them, it was either Enquirer, Weekly World News, or one of those other crazy ones. I saw the picture of the Flatwoods monster for the first time. And my little brain like switched over and I became a complete weirdo. So then I read the article and I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And then every time she would get these magazines, I would search the back because that's where all the weird stories were. And I'd be reading stuff about aliens and cryptids. And, you know, I remember this one article about space aliens who were lonely and they were abducting people's pets. I mean, all sorts of crazy stuff. So I've been in the weird for quite some time and also growing up where I did um to me it always had a weird sense to it like I grew up in basically the the wilds of Pennsylvania and there's nothing but woods and cornfields and cow pastures around us so it's kind of like that alone has a little bit of a mystique to it um I grew up spending a lot of time in the forest in the woods, in the rivers, doing outside kid stuff. So I've always been into nature and weirdness, really. I mean, as far back as I can remember. (laughs) One man's weirdness is another man's fascinating. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, definitely. 
definitely. I used to think when people would be like, oh, you're so weird. And I'd be like, you know, I'm not weird. Oh my God. Yeah, I'm weird and it's okay. <laughs> I, I, I wear it. I'm good. I'm totally good with it. <laughs> yep. I've accepted that I'm a geek that likes science fiction and weird things. Yeah. I mean, I, if I draw something completely out there and nobody else understands it, I don't care because it's weird and I like it and that's why I drew it. So. Yep. And at least you're a better artist than I am. That's for sure. (laughs) I'm still, thank you. I'm sure, you know what? Everybody can draw. Everybody's an artist in their own way. So you, you could probably do something creative that I can't do. Like some people can like play music or they can crochet or knit or something like that. I'm sorry. Knitting is like voodoo magic. There's no way I can figure it out. It's too many fingers involved, but like everybody's got their own creativity. We just got it on different levels and anybody can learn how to draw. I'm sorry. Anybody could be taught how to do it. So. I still want somebody to train an octopus out to do knitting. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Cause you'd almost have to be an octopus to do it. I, I, I even took a class once. I couldn't do it. <laughs> I just could not get it together. <laughs> hey, it's Gil from the Mind Today's Mind Culture and Social Podcast. And you're listening to Pods Like Us. So what's your history with art then? How did that start? And did you actually go, did, were you formally trained? Um, I think, gosh, I've been doing artsy stuff and drawing and everything since I could hold a pencil or crayons. Okay. Um, I remember making little collages and drawing up little things out of construction paper since like I was like a little kid and I remember like in grade school drawing unicorns for my classmates yeah like because I grew up I was born in 77 so I grew up in the 80s for a big chunk of my childhood and you know we were all unicorn crazy back then yeah and so I drew unicorns for like my classmates um I would be the weird kid in the back of the class doodling and getting in trouble because I wasn't paying attention, but I was like, wait a minute, I got to put this tail on this unicorn. It's almost done. I don't have time to listen to you. <laughs> so, and then it, it basically translated into high school, high school. It was like art, art, art. Um, I like to say I was a good student, but only when it came to like creativity, like I was really good in like the art classes, but everything else I was kind of like, mm, I just wasn't interested And then by the time I got to like 12th grade, I had four art classes in a day because I'd done all my credits. Um, When I was, you know, growing up in high school, it wasn't the best, um, I guess you could say the best home environment. So for me, drawing, like staying up drawing all night, drawing unicorns and dragons and whatever else I wanted to draw, it was more of like an escape at that yep. point. And then I graduate from high school, I get into the real world and I kind of stepped away from art for a while. Um because real world, you're you're thrown into the workplace, you got to make your money. And then I had my daughter and then I just kind of like art just didn't happen for a while. I was working a full-time job doing the whole mom working thing. And then later on 
I got to the point where I was like, I have to do something. Like I, I'm really tired of working these jobs where it's not what I want to do. So then I went to graphic design school, um, which was okay. It was a two-year program. I learned some stuff. It was a community college, which I'm not complaining about community colleges. They're awesome and they're affordable here. But I, a lot of the stuff I learned, I learned on my own. Um, when I got out, I got a design job for a university. Yep. Um, it was really intense and kind of made me not want to be a designer. Like it, it was a really toxic, awful environment. And I kind of left that kind of floating around. Like, I don't know what I'm doing next. Um, after I left, I relocated back here to where I was raised. And I actually went to an arts. I went to art school here just to kind of brush up on things relearn some bad habits that I had and I finished that and now I draw cryptids and weird stuff and yeah <laughs> that's how it all kind of came together for me so okay I think that leads us nicely if I remember correctly <laughs> into this Hello guys, this is Vuk from Tracing Owls Podcast, or rather you may know me as Darwin from Darwin's Deviations. Now Christina here has been a longtime collaborator of mine. She has been a part of Tracing Owls from the very start. She created the logo for my show and we have sat down and had so many wonderful, magnificent, very inspirational chats. I see our chats as uh, art pieces that we have created together. Now knowing Christina for a while, I am aware that Christina resides in a more rural more heavily wooded area where she is directly exposed to nature. And it is evident to me and to many other people that Christina's artwork is heavily inspired by the natural world she resides in. So my question to Christina today would be, Though your own art is inspired by nature, how has the process of creating your art inspired you to form a more deeper and more colorful appreciation of the natural world around you? As during your artistry you are focusing your intent and channeling the natural surroundings around you, has this artistic process throughout the years taught you to bond with your natural surroundings in a more intricate and more deep emotion? emotional way holy cow <laughs> wow that's some question there Vuk um but you know I expect it from him so it's all good um I think to answer his question it has like there's there's going to be times where I'm stuck on something like I'm going to use an example from an episode we actually did yeah. um there's this little known cryptid called the ice gadunk and we had a conversation about it and there's like a paragraph of it. And he asked me if I wanted to do art for it. And so I drew the ice gadunk. Well, a couple of the things that are out there on this creature, it's like line drawings and it's kind of weird looking. And I was like, I feel like I could do better with this. So what I did was I actually went out and did research. Like I thought about, okay, there's this creature. We know it looks kind of like a seal, but it's got this wheel for a tail. How would it use this wheel? Like I actually went through and did some research on it. And in doing that, I kind of got a little bit better with looking at 
the way nature inspires us and how nature fits in with certain things. So if I had to say, if it strengthened that, it does. Because there's been times where, like the ice kadunk, I've been a little stuck on it. Like, I just didn't want to draw a seal with a tail. You know, I, I, I wanted to do something a little bit differently. And that's when I look to nature. I mean, that's usually anytime I'm stuck with something, I look at something natural. Like, I look up, uh, you should see my photo roll, like my camera roll on my phone. I've got so many reference pictures of different things. My Pinterest boards, reference pictures of all these things, like, you know, trees, rivers, creatures, all sorts of stuff. So, yeah, I would say it really did strengthen because I don't recall doing that so much before. Before it was like, oh, I may crack open a book and look at a reference, you know, like we all do. But yeah, now it's like nature is is so concrete for me, for me to look at when I'm drawing anything really. So I make a big deal about making things look unnatural, but natural at the same time. So if that makes sense. It, it <laughs> does. so many words. <laughs> it, it does. I, I mean, a lot of these things um, are based on nature anyway. So you'll, you'll find things where a lot of them are a mix across between, you know, people have thought about these things. So it's a cross between this animal with that one. Like you were saying earlier, the coonigator is basically a raccoon and an alligator, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. Uh, and there's all sorts of things in 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 the real world that create these things, such as going slightly out of it. You've got the the whole uh, you know Easter eggs and rabbits at Easter. And one suggestion I heard about that was that uh, rabbits have a tendency that when they when they can when the when they're worried about being preyed upon if they can see a hole somewhere, they will go and hide inside that hole. And the, um, I remember somebody saying on a program that they said that there's this story going around that what happened was a naturalist had been, ha been out and about and he saw this rabbit in this hole and it came out of a hole and there was an egg there that had been left by an animal that supposedly had, been killed or something but it was the egg of that animal so they assumed that this rabbit had actually left a left an egg there of its own and that's how the whole easter egg and rabbits at easter came about yeah um i've heard that um i tend to look at the old paganism for that like the hare the rabbit being a symbolism for you know rebirth and yep. the eggs being symbolism for fertility. Yep. Um, I tend to take holidays and look at them that way um, because I don't, I don't practice any Christianity, any religion like that. I, yep. I really, when it comes to nature as well, and this is why it works so well for me, I'm more in tune with like the paganistic kind of view. Um, if somebody had to ask me, like, oh, what do you, what do you view at, you know, why are you so into nature and everything like that? Um, I, I consider myself a witch and always have. Yep. So when I look at these things, I kind of take the magic from all that, grab nature and kind of throw it into my pieces, if that makes sense. Mm. So, 
but yeah, I mean, as far as like, say, if I had to do something Easter wise, I would probably do something more along the lines of rebirth and, you know, fertility using hairs and eggs and moons and, you know, springtime, etc. So. Well, that makes sense completely. So what's your earliest memory of art? Probably, this is going to sound so crazy, you guys. I'm going to tell you. Um, so basically, when I was five years old, my my father passed away. Okay. Um, he had a long illness. I used, and being five years old, you don't remember everything, but you remember some things. Yeah. So while he was sick and everything, I remember using art to cope with things. I did a lot of different, you know, drawings and stuff. And one of the earliest memories I have of all that was when he passed away, his funeral was on Halloween. And I included all these little drawings that I made for him. And I explicitly, like, if I close my eyes, I can think this and I see it still, is I put a construction paper jack-o'-lantern in his coffin with him. And when I close my eyes, I can see it. And that's kind of like my first little um, explicit remembrance of when art kind of came in and started doing things for me, if that makes sense. So, yeah, that's one of those early memories that I I don't know, people call them core memories. Like there's this whole trend on social media now to say that, but that's like a serious core memory for me. So, but yeah, that's the earliest. Well, well, that makes sense because I mean, even myself doing music, because you know, I've got guitars behind me and whatever. Uh, yeah. So see, creativity. You creativity. have your own creativity. I can draw and you can play music. I can't play music. Uh uh-uh. uh <laughs> We are most creative when it's an emotion that actually that we're feeling at the time. That is what actually brings the most creative or most creativity from people who have this whatever type of art it is that they're involved in or whatever medium that they're they're involved with, that is when we are at our most, like I said, creative. Oh, yeah. Like, I really, the times that have been the hardest is when I looked to art. Um, There was a couple times in my life where things were really insane and I didn't really even look at that. Um, but for the most part, like growing up the, where I grew up, growing up the way I did and everything, I used art a lot to kind of cope with crazy things that I had to deal with on a day to day basis. So, yeah, I mean, art to, you know, being an artist, being creative, there's always emotion attached to it. Um, because it feels like when you create, you're putting a little piece of yourself out there. Yeah, And so, yeah, there's always going to be emotion attached to it. I mean, that's probably why it takes me so long to do things now, because I'm just like, I need to do all this and I need to put this into this and make it feel a certain way. So, but a, yeah. lot, of, but a lot of the times those pieces that you are almost feel impelled to actually create, that they're usually the ones that have the most when you go back to them, they have the most emotional impact from as well. It's it's a bit like um, sing, singer song or songwriters who, mm-hmm. when they write a song and they'll say, I can't believe that our most 
most famous song only took me like 10 minutes to write or something. Mm-hmm. And that's because that's when the actual emotion hit them the most. And because you are impelled to get that out there, whether it's drawing it, painting it, writing it, or anything at all. And that's why it has the most emotional pull on people and why it's the most, why it has that sort of thing to it. Oh yeah. And it's like, I've had instances where something has taken me no time at all. Like I'm just, it pops into my head and I'm like, okay, I got to get it out. Let me do it. But there's also been times where something's lived in my brain for years and it lives there and it lives there. And I always call my brain, my filing cabinet. So something will be filed away forever, but it's always this idea that's in the back of my brain that I want to get to. And something will remind me of it, or we'll be having a conversation about it, or I'll see something on TV, or something will just happen. And it'll remind me about this idea. And then that the next thing to do is to get it out on paper. Like the Flatwoods Fae, the Flatwoods Monster Fae that I did. um, That's been living in my head for quite some time. And it's not until I had that conversation, the round table that I told you I recorded, yeah. um, that it actually was like, listen, I got to do this. I have to get this out. And the next day or two, I had it out. Um, and then that snowballed into a project where I was like, you know what? I'm going to draw cryptids as Faye. I did the interview with Tracy Owls where we talked about that. Yeah. So it all kind of came full circle. So that those those ideas are not living in my head as much in the filing cabinet. They're actually in the front being implemented. But yeah, I mean, I have stuff. I have all these things I want to do. And it's kind of like, sometimes at the end of the day, I'm like, am I ever going to have time to do all this? Like how, how can I make this happen? But like I said, sometimes in order to do one of these things I want to do and one of these projects, I have to be triggered you know, to do it. Like I have to have like a push to do it, if that makes sense. So it does, because there's also the thing of, you know, you can have something that's in your head for a long time and you'll occasionally think, Oh, it's almost like it's not ready to do anything about it until it's the right time to do it until it's that time. Because you'll have this idea, like I might have a line or a phrase in my head or, or musical phrase. And I'll, and I'll think about it. Think, no, it's not time yet. And eventually it tells you when it's ready for you to actually do something with it. Yeah. It's like, yeah. It's like planting seeds. Like you plant these seeds and you watch them and you're hoping that they bloom. Well, sometimes you may plant a bunch of seeds. Most of them germinate right then and there, and it's good. But you always have those stragglers that take longer to germinate. And it's like because they need extra attention, they need extra sunshine or whatever. It's kind of like it, it, it's, it's, it's exactly how it is. You have to have all these ideas bouncing around in your brain until it's the right time to implement it. So... But, you know, we're not quite as uh, multi, multi-talented multi as someone like Todd, though, who does music and art, you know, you know, yeah, I, I'm, I don't I'm a know. bit envious of that. But yeah. uh, me too, like, because I get real, probably because I have a lot going on yeah. with life in general, but I get real envious because I, 
I remember being in design school. I was considerably younger, but being in design school, getting two hours of sleep a night because I was doing creative stuff all night long. Now I'm like, if I'm not in bed by like 1230, I I don't know what to do the next day. I'm just like, life is not going to be good. I'm going to drink a gallon of coffee. I'm not going to get started until about noon. I mean, it's like, but it's like how every day I kind of like beat myself up. Like, how can I be more productive? Yep. And I don't think I need to beat myself up. So it's, yeah, I mean, he's incredibly talented. A lot of people I know are incredibly talented and I want to know their secrets. (laughs) Absolutely. And that, here we go, really good transition. That leads us into this. Hey, Christina, how's it going, friend? I hope all is lovely and you're having a great conversation with Martin. He uh, asked me earlier to send over a little question for y'all, and uh, I am going to do that now. I wish I could have joined live, but I have a karate class with the little dude right around the same time you're recording. So, yeah, here it goes. Uh, Christina, one of my favorite things in our conversations has been how you give backstories to all of these amazing creatures and cryptids and fey entities that you are uh, illustrating. And my question right now would be, what is your favorite of all the backstories that you've given these uh, beautiful little critters that you've created? Yeah, I hope you enjoy the rest of the conversation and I'm stoked to hear (laughs) what you have to say. I'll talk to both (laughs) of you later. Bye. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, so... When I draw things, I tend to create a little backstory with them. Yeah. Goop thinks I need to publish it. Like he says, you need to, you know, get it all down, publish it, make like a book. And I'm just like, I want to, I just got to find the time, which translates to, I have to make the time. So yeah. the, the, the question oldest time, right. You know, you just got to make time for things. Um, so like, I think my favorite Months and months ago, like last year, I had this crazy idea in my brain to make the Flatwoods monster a little bit more magical. Like, you know, folklore, you know, the pop culture is she's this alien, you know, I I call her a she because her name is Francine, just so we're clear. Okay. (laughs) Um pop culture deems that this creature came from another planet came from space by way of a spaceship and scared the crap out of these kids and became a local legend and then become a world legend um i was like what if she wasn't like that what if she was actually magical what if she was only here to do something magical and i was like okay she came from outer space, but she came here as a space witch and she's going to teach special magic to other cryptids. And the first round of cryptids I had her teaching magic to was the Fresno night crawlers because those little critters are so cute and they make me smile. So I did this piece that I want to revisit and redo where she's teaching them special space magic. So I had this whole little thing where she's, at a certain place, she's teaching them how to be magical so they can continue going out into the world and doing what they got to do. And she's going to leave soon and she's going to go to another dimension and teach yep. 
cryptids there, how to be magical. And then I kept forwarding that story. And then I did another piece where there's there's Fresno night crawlers and a forest around a forest fire practicing magic. So I kind of like uh, took that and I ran with it and kind of did a little bit of a theme. Um, so that's probably the first story and one of my most favorite stories because I was able to take it and kind of push it forward. Um, I have it all written down, I think, in my Google Drive. But um, since then, every little character I do has a little story, a backstory. I give them a name usually. Um, yeah. And then I kind of like do a history, like a, a a thing like, okay, this is what they do. This is how they happen. This is what this little creature would be doing every day. Um, in the interview I did with Vuk when I was on his podcast recently, I talked about how I give all my creatures a job, like yeah. I give them an assignment. And then we talked about how I feel like all these creatures are fey or elementals. Um, so I kind of take all that feeling and put them into these backstories. So, but yeah, long, long answer, <laughs> short question, but um, that's me. That's what I do. But yes, uh, Braxy the Space Witch is about my favorite because I think it was like my first one coming up with an idea like that. So there you go, Todd. <laughs> there we go, Todd. But um, it makes sense, though, to do that because then if you make a story up like that, it tells you everything that you need to know and everything you need to put onto that picture. It sort of helps you to be that cr creative and know what you're actually putting out there. Oh yeah. And I, um, when I was actually doing graphic design stuff, if somebody came to me for a logo, um, I did this thing where I'd write down all the words that reminded me of their business, what they yep. needed to have done. And then I would start grabbing words and I would eventually narrow it down to words. And I would take those words and I would translate them into a logo that was most fitting for them. So I feel like now with my art, I do sort of the same thing. Like I'll take all these elements, squish them together, condense them, and then spit out this finished piece. And it always has a little story attached to it. So, But I mean, you know, Todd, Todd mentioned that in his, in his question, but at the same time to give him his due, it's just the same sort of thing as Todd does with these little quotes or these things that he could, that he, these little bits that he writes on his okay. pieces of art a lot where he'll write something there. And then that dictates in, in essence, what the actual picture it will be to go with that phrase or whatever is written on the page. Yeah. He's illustrating it. Like yeah. he's illustrating the phrase. So if you don't know really what's going on and you, you know, you don't want to form your own opinion or you don't want to know exactly like what you think about something, he's already done it for you. He tells you the words he wants you to have. He tells you how he expects you to maybe take it. Um, I love his little critters, like his little gnomes with the moons on their yes. foreheads and the one tooth or the little um, comic books. I, I just love all that. Like I want to get to that point where I'm like Todd and I do all that stuff just like him. Like I want to be Todd when I grow up. So <laughs> do any of us want to grow up really? Yeah, nah, I, you know, like I said, I'm 45 and I'm still, I don't know. I think I'm still in my twenties. So, 
sometimes I wake up and my knee hurts or my back hurts and I'm like, oh, I'm 45. But then I'm just like, wait a minute now. I'm 22. (laughs) So, yeah, nobody wants to grow up. It's no fun to grow up. But don't you find that the way that you do your artwork, it's it's helpful in a way because then people can then look at the artwork in, in, in a sense, you know, because it's not got the... It's, it's a different style altogether to, to Todd. So Todd's will say this. I mean, in a sense, Todd reminds me of the old, you know, some political or, you know, sort of artwork that people used to do where they had a, um, some something was meant by it, you know, where they, mm-hmm. they'd have, you know, a reason behind it. Yeah, there's uh, a statement with it. There's a statement there and they're trying to get a point across Whereas your artwork, because you've not got the, you know, the the writing on there and you do come up with a story to give you the idea, but in a way, because that's not actually there, people who look at that artwork can look at the artwork and it's almost like they look at it, but they're putting a bit of themselves into it when they look to try and get what they perceive from that. Oh, yeah. And, you know, he does the same thing. Like he puts his words with it and everything, um, which is brilliant. I love. Before I ever talked to him, I was following him on Instagram and I just love his little, cre- I, I just love his little creatures. I love the style. Like, it's just, it's so, I like the textural elements. Like I want to reach out and like touch some of the textures he's got on his, um his works. I love the words and how out there a lot of them are. And it's just like, it's just so mystifying to me, but I think even though with me, I don't put words with mine. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not a big fan of me putting typography on my work Yeah, because I don't feel like I want, that's something I want to do. Um, if people want to do it, that's fine. I'm just saying for me, I don't feel like something I wanted to do, but yeah, if I do something, I want you to see what you're going to see in it. And I want you to take it how you're going to take it. But part of me always hopes that when you look at it, you know what I'm trying to say. If that makes sense. Like I try to make things organic enough where you're like, Oh, okay. I know what she's trying to say. So. My name is Dr. Sally Grissom and I invented time travel. That wasn't my goal, but then one minute I'm in my lab, and the next I'm in the middle of a 1940s military experiment. The Office of Developed Anomalous Resources took my invention and immediately did what shadowy government agencies do, turned it into a weapon for the dawning Cold War. I've changed a whole lot of history since then, and I don't think you could say it was all for the better. It's all my new friends and I can do to make sure Odar doesn't tear the fabric of space-time apart at the seams. And if you can hear this, then maybe, just maybe, we didn't f*** it all up. But I wouldn't bet money on it. But you also have an individual style as well, where it's it's a bit like a lot of a lot of artists have this, where you will uh, look at their paintings and you'll know immediately that it's that it's that person. So I'll look at your artwork and I'll know that it's definitely you that's actually done that. Along the similar lines, as you know, I'll look at a Dali and you can't mistake a Salvador Dali for somebody no. else and you can't mistake <laughs> a Picasso for somebody else. They, no. each, so if you find these artists where they are themselves and they really put themselves into there 
and they're not just doing art for the you know to to quote the 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 famous song by 10cc you're not doing art for art's sake you're doing it for your own self because it's a part of you and that's how though that those people are that are where you can actually see their and work know that it is them that's done it yeah and i think with going with style i think i've just recently kind of like finally settled into my style like it took a good long while um i think i had a lot of growth um cuz i've had so much time to work on things I've taken some classes on Skillshare. I'm not even going to lie cuz to me you could be the best artist ever. You could be the best at what you're doing. Learning something every day is is good. Like always learning, always improving. And I think most recent stuff like my cryptid fay, this I have 6 of them done now. I have 6 more yeah. to go. But um the 6 that I've posted so far are my favorite because there's that style poking through yep. they all match like they've all got the same kind of feeling with it and i feel like i finally did that like i finally made them cohesive like i finally got to that point last year i did um cryptid zodiac i was happy with that but i feel like from even then to now i've improved just by doing more and looking more into what I could use as a style. So like if I had to redraw the cryptid zodiac, I would redraw draw it in the style that I have now. Um Spraxy the Space Witch. Yeah. I'm going to redraw her in the style that I have now because I feel like I'm finally happy with something that I've produced and I'm finally holy cow, I might have a style now. <laughs> It's finally happened, and after all this time, so. So, uh, another good thing is uh, that you that you don't you don't specifically stick to one t- type of material or one type of art that you use either. Which you know, like a lot of I mean, I've already mentioned Dali. He's the same where he used to where he'd do painting, and then he'd have a go at. He used to do like sculpture as well, and he did mm-hmm. all sorts of things. And you yourself, but do you what what materials do you work with, and do you have ones that you are particularly fond of using more often than others? Um, I primarily, right now, I primarily do digital. Like yep. I've really gotten into that. Um, I still do sketches on paper in my sketchbook, and I'll take a picture of the sketch and I'll translate it into Procreate on my iPad. Um, reason I do digital is because when I create these creatures and these pieces, I see them a certain way in my brain. Like I can see what I want them to look like. And it feels like with the capability that we have now with these digital softwares like Procreate, some of the other ones, I think there's another one called a firm or something like that. Um, we have that capability to actually make it look that way. Like I can make things glow. I can give a different kind of texture to things that I couldn't do on regular paper. Um, On regular paper, if I mess up, I have to erase it or use another sheet. With Procreate, you double tap, clear it out, boom, you can keep on going. Um, So I've gotten into digital a lot lately. and, And recently that's been my preferred. 
Um, like I said, I'll, I still sketch and everything. Um, I haven't really drawn, drawn like a serious piece, uh, a serious piece on a piece of paper in like a couple of years now. Yeah. Um, I taught painting, acrylic painting for like four years. Um, so I was doing painting too. I don't paint as much either anymore. Um, I want to, yeah. but it's kind of like dragging out the paints, dragging out the brushes, getting the canvas ready. It's kind of like, uh, why do that when I can sit down, get into my Procreate app and there's like a thousand brushes and there's acrylic paint brushes and watercolor and everything like that. So I still like traditional mediums. I just have really gotten into the digital kick right now. So, Did but that's have, about my favorite right now. So. Yeah. Did you ever find yourself actually going out somewhere and then while you're out, you'll, you'll see something and it'll spark something and you just think, Oh, I'll just quickly either on a little tablet or something that you carry around with you or even sketch paper or whatever, just sketch this like basic idea and then come back and do something based on that. Yeah. I mean, there's been times I use my um, notes app on my phone a lot. Like there's been times I've got, I've woken up in the middle of the night or had to pull over when I was driving or just in general out somewhere and I'll make a detailed note of my idea. Like I don't so much as sketch it out, but I'll actually make like a detailed, like seriously detailed. Like I'll list it out what I want to do with it, what the background needs to look like, what it's going to, you know, the color palette. Like I'll list out a whole idea and it sits in my notes app until I get that little spark to actually carry it through. Like my notes app is ridiculous. I have so many in there. <laughs> so many it's, it's like my notes app on my iphone is full of lyric ideas and eventually i'll bother to actually look at those and do something with them yeah a lot of my stuff starts out in the notes app and continues on from there so like the whole cryptid zodiac last year started in notes so so before we actually started we, we before we started officially recording or the show we were actually discussing this that I'm about to bring up now which is art as a promotional tool and uh, so but we're sort of rehashing what we were saying before we started here that mm -hmm. the the importance of uh, art as promotion and we were both saying now one of the good things is that uh with music records have come back into into the foreground nowadays. So the the marriage of physical art with music or with any type of media is back. And I think it's really important that you have those things with each other. Oh yeah, I mean, I think, so I remember when MTV started playing music videos and I think that added another level like, so you got this music, you got the song you really are bonkers about and you're listening and you're just like, oh my gosh, I could see it. I know what they're talking about, you know, yada, yada, yada. But then you get this next layer. There's this music video where they're actually either not even describing what you had in your brain for the song or they're doing it. They're actually acting it out. It's actually complimenting that song. So I feel like with the album covers, you know, the artwork and everything, I think that's just adding another layer to the music like I'm a real big fan of music so I think when you add that artistic 
level to it, you know, another level of creativity, it just amplifies what you already feel for that song or that music. If that makes sense. (laughs) Well, what you're saying with the music video, I mean, that brings to mind sort of like going back even before MTV, you had people like the Beatles and other groups who were doing like music videos as we call them now, but they weren't called back then. Uh, And they were doing the same thing sort of like, you know, I would see what was essentially the music video for Strawberry Fields Forever. And it works perfectly because you've got that almost avant-garde, strange, otherworldly almost feel to the video that matches with the music perfectly. Oh, yeah. Like Queen, Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. You know, I could still remember that. Like, you know, them in the dark and they're singing. And, you know, that's one of those memories stuck in my brain, too. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I think adding another level of art or creativity amplifies the music. Like it just does for me anyway. So. But coming back to the, coming to the world of podcast, it's the same there. I think with, with logos, like the logo that you did for tracing owls, I think that is something that's not always simple in my mind. I think you need the right artwork there or the right piece of you know for that logo there that grabs people's attention because sometimes some podcasts you'll just find it's a picture of the person doing the podcast and then the name of the person name of the podcast and you think well yeah yeah all right I get that it's you and it's that name but it's it's like like with album covers it's the same thing where you might find an album cover that's got a picture of the group on the front or you might have a completely different picture that 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 really grabs your attention, such as, you know, we'll, we'll get to, you know, like like Pink Floyd with the dark side of the moon and the prism. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's classic. And then you've got the other hypnosis creation, which is the the person on fire shaking hands with a person not on fire at the front of the Wish You Were Here album. I mean, yeah. these, these are grab things, and these are things that grab the person in even more. Yeah, and, and the thing is, to go back to that logos and everything, like – you have a podcast yep. and you, you know, you've put up this, this picture and like, let's say it is a picture of you with the name of the podcast, your picture stacked up against another podcast. Like if you're going through Spotify and they actually have a, a graphic picture, like they have like colors, words, it's very dynamic. Which one are you going to look at first, possibly? You're going to look at the one that's more graphic and more dynamic. When we see a famous logo, like we all know what the Nike logo looks like or the Apple logo looks like. It's all about remembering, you know, it's all about how do I want to say it? It's familiar. Yeah. Like it, it catches your attention and then you, it kind of sticks in your brain pan and it kind of hangs around forever. So I think when somebody takes what they do and they add that level of creativity or that art to it, it makes it more memorable over if they didn't. Like I'm more apt to remember a album cover or a logo or a podcast cover if it's more creative and more um, thought out than I am if they just have a picture of them or a picture of the band or, you know, just the name of their, their business. So I, that's my take on it. So. But at the same, from being a graphic yeah. designer too, I had to do some of that stuff. So. Yeah. But 
there's another thing where if you're using a picture of yourself or something, there's a difference there as well, where you can just use a basic, straightforward picture of yourself or going back to the example of the Beatles where, you know, you've got the Rubber Soul famous cover of that. Mm -hmm. And the reason why that's better than an ordinary picture is because of the distorted feel of it where apparently what happened there was they were looking at the picture and and accidentally it folded or whatever when they were looking and it stretched the picture out by accident. And they said, well, that's what we want is that. So it wasn't a basic picture. It had a distorted feel to it and it works. Whereas Mm -hmm. if they'd have kept it as normal as just the normal original picture of it, it wouldn't have the same sort of attention grab as, as it has. Yeah, because we all know who the, well, not all of us, but we all know what the Beatles look like. You know, we know who they look like. And if, yeah, if they just had a picture of the Beatles on the front, the band members, we'd be like, oh, that's the Beatles. But now because they've added a different level, we're like, wow, okay, that's Rubber Soul. That's the album by the Beatles. But I remember it because the, the album cover is pretty cool, you know? So that's my mom's favorite album by them by the way so i know exactly what you're talking about with the cover <laughs> that's good to know hello to all of you boys next door mums and dads new weds and nearly deads introducing dangerous amusements a brand new podcast where we talk about the music of elvis costello i'm Stu arrowsmith and in each episode i'll be joined by a special guest to chat all things elvis and i'll be asking them to help me compile the ultimate elvis costello playlist So what artist inspire you? Oh boy. Um I have controversial like little things about that. So when I was in art school, I really liked art history. So one of my top artists and I don't know if it you know, I have artists I really love and I don't know, they inspire me, but I don't think their stuff falls into any of my stuff. Um, like Van Gogh. Um, I love his stuff. Like, I just love, love, love it. Um, I love the look of it. I could just stand there and kind of fall into it. Um, Matisse is another one. Purple robe and peonies is like one of my favorite paintings. And I got to actually see it in person. And I was like, oh my gosh, fangirling. Wow. It was amazing. Um, some of Picasso's stuff is is good. Like Guernica is really kind of wow. That's amazing. But some of his other stuff, like I don't care for him as a person. <laughs> yeah. So I kind of have to separate that just like you would for other people. But um you know, that stuff's really good. Um, I think some of the Renaissance stuff out there, not necessarily the religious um, paintings, but um, like Bosch, um, his stuff with like the demons and, you know, hell and, you know, the, the heaven and hell, the triptychs that he used to do. I love sitting there and looking through those and finding out like picking out every little detail like the little cat looking demons yeah and the demons eating the guys you know it's just so cool to me um and then I just like a lot of the renaissance stuff for and I can't I could probably pick out names but there's so many 
I just like the look in general. Like they used a lot of the different, they use a lot of different painting techniques and I just love how textural it is. I love texture. I'm so into that. So when I look at one of their paintings and there's like cracks and age and gilded gold frames and everything, it just, it makes me feel something because so much care was put into that piece that we don't see now. Um, there's a lot of modern artists that I like too, um, but not any of the ones that really, I call it get out there. Like, you know, Jeff Koons with his banana, his uh, bananas and his porn star sculptures and his balloon dogs. I'm just like, whatever. Like I could take it or leave it. Damien yeah. Hurst is like, uh, you know, I, yeah, I could take it or leave it. Um, more likely leave it, but you know, there's, there's more old stuff than new stuff that I'm into. And then I like some of my contemporaries, you know, I like Todd and some of the other people I follow on Instagram. So, but yeah. <laughs> but what you were saying there, I mean, that's something that I really love when I've been to, when I've been to galleries and I've looked at some artwork and I've thought some of those older ones that, like you said, there's the textural thing to it where you'll look at it and because it's, there's times where they will they will paint and then they'll paint again over that to mm -hmm. to whatever and it's like it's almost not quite but it's almost like a three-dimensional image in a sense because things stick out because of the paint on top of paint on top of paint and the layers as well and that's something that I find fascinating oh yeah and what's cool too is like if they didn't like something they would just paint over it and keep on trucking but you can see shadows still like some paintings. If you get up close enough, you can see the shadow of what they had before. And that's so cool to me. Cause it's like, it's almost like it's giving it a soul. Like it's giving it a life because it's got it a life. Yeah. Alive. So, yeah. yep. I get it on the texture. I'm all about texture. Like I want to touch the stuff, but I'm like, no, I can't. It's an old painting. <laughs> <laughs> it's a shame you can't get a copy. <laughs> I know, right? I want to look, get right up there and look at the brush strokes. I got in trouble once at a museum because, you know, I got real close and I'm looking at the brush strokes and they were like, you have to step back. And I'm like, but I'm looking at the brush strokes. You have to step back. You're too close. <laughs> and I'm just like, I'm sorry, but I was looking at the brush strokes. Um, so yeah, it was just funny. I think it was a, a Monet that I was looking at. I wanted to see the brush strokes. So Yeah. <laughs> If there's a Doc Brown out there, Christina wants you to take her back to the times when these things were made. Yes, yes, exactly. Like I wanna, I wanna see all those things. I wanna see how they did that. But I mean, that as far as like art artists I like, those are the ones that I like. Um, there's other stuff that pops up and I don't even remember like who did it. It just kind of like floats by in my brain, and I'm just like, that was really cool. Um and if I saw the painting or the piece and then they attached it to the artist, I'd probably remember. But yeah, there's so many more that I like that I just can't name all at once. So. Absolutely. So, ooh, my, my other half, uh, Louise, has written some questions out and she said, okay. so what, what, have you got a favorite era of art? I don't know. Um, by the way, all her little baked goods that you post on Instagram look amazing. And oh, I always want them. Um, 
very talented, just I'm, very talented. I'm very lucky. Yes, yes, you are. Um, so favorite, I would say probably I like the Renaissance stuff. Yeah. Um, and then I like the whole like Van Gogh's era, all the impressionists. I like that whole era. And then I like the era of like the Moulin Rouge posters, like Le Trek, you know, Toulouse Trek and everything. I like all that kind of art deco-ish kind of stuff going on. And then I like some of the stuff coming out like the 60s and the 70s where it was starting to get more political and whatnot. Um, stuff in the 80s, yeah. And then I like some of the stuff I, oh, I like stuff coming up now because, you know, us as artists, we have different tools. We have more things we can do. We just don't have canvas and paper. We can actually do things digital and 3D. So I like a lot of the stuff that's coming out now, but I don't have like a specific era that I gravitate to as a whole. It's an interesting time at the moment because it's almost as though, you, you know, with a lot of uh, forms of media and art, you have a period, you have periods where it's very quick and you'll go, from this to this to this to this, and you see a, a change in our art, and th these things are. But mm -hmm. for a while, it, there's been a sort of like steady, not much going on, and then recently, there's been a surge with art where, like yourself and with Todd and people, there's this different style that's come out, I feel. Yeah, I mean, I think like now, like years ago, it would probably be like, charcoal drawings were big yeah. or you know paintings on canvas oil paint on canvas um acrylic paint on canvas but now i think a big chunk of art is digital yeah. like we've gone to digital and now there's a whole other conversation about you know ai is that art you know what i mean so yeah. it's you know i think we're just with art it's just going to keep evolving as we keep going and before you know it'll be like on you know star wars where it's a holograph and we can point at it move it around and stuff so yeah absolutely and uh oh i'm not sure whether you could answer this louise said have you got a favorite artist oh how about i phrase it like this if i had an artist that i liked most of their work and I could call them favorite, it would be Van Gogh, of yeah. course. So, like, his stuff is really awesome to me. And I like a majority of his paintings and his work, so. Yeah, and he has variety in his work as well, where, you know, you've not just got, like, uh, some some artists are known for portrait artists or for this type of artist, whereas he was experimenting constantly with what subjects and what he would use as well material-wise to create the art. And there's always something interesting about people who will not get stuck in that specific, you know, comfort zone. They will always be searching for the next thing that they can try. Oh, yeah. And he put so much emotion into it. Like his paintings, his artwork went by his moods. Yeah. Because, you know, he had a lot of mental illness and depression and whatnot. So when you look at some of his stuff, you can kind of see where his brain was at that particular time. And I just, I don't know, I feel like I identify with that. Like, 
you know, you're not going to be, you know, drawing happy frogs and rainbows all the time because our brains are not like that. And a lot of us have a lot of underlying issues where we may have days where we're just completely, you know, feeling like dog poo, but, you know, we, it either reflects or it doesn't reflect. And for him, it was so, it was so autobiographical or biographical if you look at all of his paintings, if you stack them together, you almost like you saw his moods. Like you could kind of see like a pattern. So, but if I had a favorite one, he'd be it. <laughs> but but that's that's the that's a, a good thing in artists that I like. So I mean, if you go back to, you know, you've got that, it's almost as though those people are scatterbrained where the reds are always changing and moving moving around and they've always got these things it's like you know you go you go really much further back than that you've got somebody like da vinci who with him with his artwork you know he he used to so you'd get like you get the famous you know you get you know the, the mona lisa or whatever and then and then you get all these other things as well where he was always creating and always trying new things and there's always that and that's I, i think the most interesting thing about art that I like anyway where they're always looking at different mediums oh yeah and like to me da Vinci is also not only is he an artist he's an engineer yeah like I mean all that stuff he came up with was not just art it was actual engineered items that nobody had ever heard of so he was on a whole other level (laughs) so well he created the helicopter about 100 and something Mm -hmm. years before helicopters were invented exactly yep yep medical you know, diagrams and parts of people that we didn't know existed before, all sorts of crazy stuff. So yeah, a total engineer artist for sure. Ahead of his time. Yeah, very ahead of his time. I mean, I find it interesting where I've looked at books about Da Vinci and you and there's books in there and they, they found like little drawings that he would do of, he would, and he really, really studied like the human form or the forms of things. And you'd find like little diagrams where he's worked out, you know, how how this works on a person's body and how this works. And it's it's incredible. Yeah. I mean, he's he's one of those people where if he was gonna draw something or paint something or a subject, he got his hands dirty. Like he actually dove in to find out what's going on and he actually translated it into his art and his little engineered stuff. So, yeah, it's a cool dude. Real cool dude. Absolutely. Oh, we got no Are there any galleries that you've really enjoyed visiting, specific, or ones that um, jump out? I think as far as, like, museums and whatnot, I haven't gotten a chance to go to a lot of them, um, probably because of where I live right now. Um, but when I lived in Raleigh, North Carolina, um, the North Carolina Museum of Art is there. And the cool thing about that is it's kept going by donors and sponsors and whatnot. So admission is free. So if you wanted to go every day and go to the museum, you could just stroll through and look at everything. I think because of that and all the variety of stuff they have and how it's set up um, and the new building that they have, that's probably my favorite place. Um, I've been to some smaller galleries, like little local folky galleries and such, but as far as an actual museum, that's my favorite because I don't have a lot to compare it with. So. Okay. So 
It, 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 oh, I love this question from Louise as well. <laughs> she says, she said, what one painting do you wish or what one piece of art do you wish that you actually owned? Um, probably something either by Van Gogh or Frida Kahlo. Yeah. She's another one I, I really love. Um, I should have mentioned her, but, you know, when your brain has got all this stuff in it, um, I would want to own probably Starry Night by Van Gogh. I just, I freaking love it so much. Or I would want to own, I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. I can see it. It's a painting by Frida Kahlo. So it's huge. Yep. And it's two sides of her. It's like the modern side and then the traditional Mexican side of her. And they're both connected by a tube of and hearts and whatnot. And it's basically a statement of her saying if she goes to be, you know, if she tries to be this one part of her, is she going to lose the other part of her? If I could own a painting, it would be that because it's so, I, I don't know, I get a lot out of it when I look at it. Um, like you would a lot of her paintings, but that's one of my ones too, that if I can own it, I would, and I'd want to own a Matisse as well. I don't care what, I just would want to own a Matisse. (laughs) So. So, So when you create your own art yourself, do you always create it with the story first and then go to the artwork or is it different each time? It depends. Most of the time. I do the sketch and do like a little story with it. And then it goes on to become a finished piece. Um, Sometimes I'll do the story and then because it's already up there, it's kind of cooking and I'll do the piece first and then I'll create the story. But usually it's the other way around. So story and then piece. Welcome to the Greek Mythology Short Stories Podcast. This podcast is hosted by Eric and Shane. Shane is a robot under Eric's control, but he sounds way better than him. Every episode in this podcast is a short story from Greek mythology. The podcast will cover the mighty gods, the great heroes, the cunning villains, and much more. I hope you enjoy this podcast and stay tuned for future episodes. So and and it is so changing tack slightly and going away from the art. How did you how did you first get involved with the podcasting world? Because like we've we've hinted at, you know, you, you're a frequent, uh, shall we say, co-host with with Vuk on uh, on Tracing Owls. How did your interest in the world of podcasting start? Um, I've been listening to podcasts for quite some time. Um, I started off small listening to some of the smaller ones and I started getting to the bigger ones. And then I started, um, conversing with podcasters yeah. and that's how me and Vuk met, um, well met cause he's on the other side of the world, but, um, he reached out to me about a piece that I'd done artwork that I'd done. Yeah. Um, and then we started talking, we turned, you know, we got to be friends and then I got to be friends with other podcasters like Jordan from Campfire's Tales and, yeah. um, you know, now Todd. So I, it's just basically, I went from listener to participant. Like eventually I want my own podcast. Again, I got to make time for this stuff. 
Um, but yeah, that's pretty much, I was a fan listener and turned into participant by talking to folks that did their own podcast. So. What did you think of Darwin's deviations when you first heard it? Um, so I didn't know about his podcast and then we started talking and then he was like, well, you should listen to my podcast. And he told me what episode to start on. And I went in and I listened and I was like, this is insane. And I love it. Yes. Like it sounded like, and I questioned him and I was like, it's so good. Like the production is so good and it's just you. Like it was, it was just, it was insane to me. And I liked it too, because he just said whatever, um, didn't worry. wasn't concerned with offending anybody. He just was basically stating, you know, things that he wanted to state. Um, the quality of the podcast, um, I would giggle. I'd always yeah. learn something. It was just really entertaining. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it was crazy. It was bonkers off the wall, but I loved it. So. I remember when I first listened to it, I mean, you know, you know, it's, um, it's strange because I was listening to it, but, and at the same, you're right. It is bonkers. It's very, I've said to him before, very almost Monty Python esque. Yeah. (laughs) in In a sense, but at the same time with that, the creativity is almost like um, an audio painting in a sense, where his, his creativity has got all these different layers and different textures to it. And then at the end, you've got this almost audio picture. Oh, yeah. Like the the quality and the creativeness behind that podcast. Like I when I first heard it, I was like, I have not heard anything like this before. No. Because usually, you know, we all know podcasts. It's like, okay, we're going to talk about the Mothman and I'm going to read it off Wikipedia or I'm going to read it off a script and it's going to be the same level of voice and it's not going to be any background music and you're going to tell everybody exactly everything they already know. So there's no newness. It's just very kind of, you know, but then you get his podcast, you get Darwin's deviations and it, he's screaming at you and making noise and got creatures and characters and says some crazy stuff. But then at the end, you're like, damn, I learned about X, Y, Z today. And I didn't know about that. Yeah. And was I supposed to be offended? I wasn't offended, but was I supposed to be offended? <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of wish that he would come back with that, but I understand you know, sometimes you got to move on and do some other things. So. Yeah. To use a musical metaphor, you can only make dark side of the moon once. You can never make it again. No, no. (laughs) I would agree with you on that one. Although I have said to him, I like the fact that he's still using some of those, that creativity occasionally in tracing owls because uh, there was an episode that he did with you where you lost connection or something and <laughs> there'd been the, the bark of the dog in the background or yeah. something. <laughs> and you made out that some creature that you'd been talking about yeah. had kidnapped you and taken you away and then you'd fought it off and you came back or something. And I thought, that's 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 Vuk perfectly, his creativity coming to the fore again. 
Yeah, he could have just been like, yo, her dog's a big mouth. He's barking. But no, he made it sound like the Rougarou came and attacked me because we were talking. It's just, you know, and even like he'll have an episode where he's like, well, listen to this episode. It's just me talking. And I'm just like, but there's still a Darwin's deviation-esque level to it. Like if that's his stuff, that's his thing. So yeah, I mean, I agree with you on that one. There's always going to be that little piece of Darwin in his podcast episodes. So, yeah, but, but he 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 doesn't like the whole one person talking on a microphone to you, the listener, and just saying there's this, 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 and this, and giving you all the facts and all the information, this, that, and the other. And there we go. We finished the episode. Go off. You've learned something now. Goodbye. And this sort yeah, of thing. He- and yeah. He always wants to say, well, I just did this. It's just me talking. But there's always a level we hear where it's just not him talking. There's always something in there. And he's probably going to hear this and be like, that's not true. And I'm like, yes, there's always a little bit of Darwin in every episode, even though it's just you talking. (laughs) There's always the entertainment side of him or the fun side and the creative side of him getting out. Yeah, that's always there. It's not just him being monologue and, you know, talking about Flatwoods Monster and telling the story and goodbye. Thanks for listening. He's always got something in there. So. Absolutely. So. If, if anybody wanted to, uh, wants to start in the world of art, what would your suggestion be? Um, don't spend a lot of money on it because if you get serious and get really into it, you have the potential to spend a lot of money um, because art is a very expensive habit, um, occupation, et cetera, et cetera. If you're going to start out, I would say um, get yourself some paper get you some decent pencils, like different grades of pencils, work with them a little bit, you know, kind of like shade things out, see how the pencils work, kind of get an understanding of that. You don't have to draw like the Sistine Chapel, just get like a little understanding of things. Um, Look at color theory. Um, It's very basic. You may even remember it from grade school. And then start looking at drawing things you see, like set an orange on a table and try to draw it or a banana, like start with that. Then you can get shadows down. And then if you want to advance even more, don't spend any money on classes. YouTube has so much stuff out there that's for free. Um, Skillshare, you can always get free classes. They usually give you a month free. Find somebody that already has Skillshare, ask them and they can send you a free month. It's crazy. Um, Reddit, Instagram, a lot of artists on Instagram have like FAQs and tips and tricks. It's basically just starting small and kind of practice and get to where you want to be. Um, none of us are born knowing how to be artists. Um, we actually have to do it and we actually have to practice. So as long as you start, get your mind on it, start doing it, practice, anybody can draw, anybody. That's my whole thing. I believe anybody can, because I taught people that never picked up a paintbrush how to paint. So, you know, that's my, that's my advice for people. Also, it's going to sound so terrible. Don't go to art school unless it's really your thing, because you can either get 
an education that's worth something that you really learned a lot of good stuff in, or you could go and get ego and attitude and get abused. So, you know, those are the two things. Um, if I could look back, I don't know if I would have went to art school again, but I, I'm glad I went to art school, but I already knew some of the stuff that they taught. And I think I was lucky as to where I went because I had friends that went to other more well-known schools and it was a really bad experience. And they left with ego. They left like feeling like they'd just been taken advantage of. So it's like one of those things, like don't go to art school until you know you want to go and you're going to make a life out of it and whatnot. Because to me, being an artist, that's not one of those things you need a degree for because it, it you just don't. You just don't. So. Oh, speaking of dogs. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm probably going to have an invader here in a minute. <laughs> yeah, probably. But so, I mean, looking at the, the picture, for instance, because you mentioned shadows and the importance of learning shadows. I look at the picture that you did for the Tracing Owls uh, logo, and that's that's a perfect example of that because... I just see the, you know, the, the eyes and then is it sort of like reflection or is it, I mean, what, what was the idea behind that actual picture? Um, basically, you know what, can we stop just for one second? Okay. I have to go out and rescue the dogs. I'll be right back because my youngest one, my puppy is going crazy. I'll be right back. Okay. All right. Sorry. I'm back. That's all right. <laughs> so, so that's now become a rescue dog. <sighs> it started pouring outside yep. and they were barking and acting crazy because they may get wet and melt. <laughs> so I had to go out and rescue them. So, but yeah. Um, and my puppy is insane. So yeah. I have to like grab her and put her in her crate to calm down. So I got my little bit of exercise. <laughs> So, yeah, well, what were you thinking then when you were doing the picture for Tracing Owls? So, Vuk was like, we got in the subject of owls, like, and how, like, Flatwoods Monster may have been an owl. Yep. Mothman may have been an owl or some sort of bird. And we kind of got into that. And then it was around the time where he named the podcast. And... I think I took like five minutes and sketched something out for him. And I yeah. was like, he was like, well, what if we could show the owl with like a reflection of Flatwoods and Mothman behind it? And I sketched okay. something out for him. He loved it. And then I kind of went forward with it. So it's basically... A lot of it's his input, and I just kind of like translated his brain for him on this. <laughs> and it only took like 15 minutes. So it was awesome. <laughs> so essentially, he's actually come out with he's come out with the story that you'd normally put you'd normally write for your own pictures. So he's come up with a story for you to then base a picture around. Yeah, he he basically was like, Well, this is what I'm thinking. And then I was like, okay, I could do something with that. And I did it. Um so, yeah, I mean, basically the same thing. Like he came up with a story, he gave it to me, I translated it. So basically what I do now, like you said. 
So, hey, this is Tim for Bad Counsel. You want some good counsel? Keep listening to the smooth, dulcet tones of Marv on Pods Like Us. <laughs> so, um, going on a different tack then, so what would you suggest to people if they wanted to make their own podcast? Um, when I think about it and wanting to do my own podcast, I think it's been helpful to be friends with podcasters yeah. because, you know, you always have somebody you can kind of ask about things. You also find out like the background secrets, secrets, um, like you find out that it may take 10 hours to edit a really involved episode, or you find out what's the best software to use, or you find out what's the best microphone um you know microphone headphones to use things like that um i think it would be harder if you just went in straight out the gate not knowing anybody that's a podcaster um i think that would be more difficult than if you did know somebody who was a podcaster so i i think that that's something that's really handy to have is that knowledge so and, and also, too, let me add to that, because it's a, it's a topic we talk about, um, me and Vuk and some of the others. Um, if you're going to have a podcast, put some thought into it, put some entertainment into it. Don't sit there with a script and just read off the script. Have some sort of like life to it, because if you have some life to it and you're entertaining, you know, even if it's funny here and there or, you know, you have a different you know, voice or you have some background music or something, make it a little bit more entertaining than you just talking to your friend on the phone. And I think with that, I mean, that's one of the big things. So. And if you're doing a show like mine, always make sure that um, you don't just follow that structure of these are my questions, blah, blah, blah. We'll do this, 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 and this, and then the show's over. If you sense uh, that there's potential for the conversation going a little sideways, let that happen so that you get that bit of something interesting in there that's different. Oh, yeah. I mean, I agree with you. Like, I don't, I love it when people say that they've spent hours researching and whatnot. I love that. That's what we need to do. We need to research and make sure we know what we're talking about because we're educating people, we're entertaining people. And whatnot. But yeah, like I love hearing a podcast when people are like talking about something really serious and then somebody gets the giggles and then they start talking about something else on the sidebar and then they have to reel themselves back in. That makes me laugh because I'm the exact same way because so now that podcast, those podcasters are my buddies now. So I want to listen to their show every time because it's familiar to me. Me, you know, meanwhile, we got, you know, podcasts XYZ over here. Their podcast is 10 minutes and all they've done is pulled up an article and read from it. So thank you for listening and cut it off. I'm not going to listen to that podcast probably again. I'm going to listen to the other one. So more I mean, candid stuff. Yeah, but we're going to pull away the curtain here. But when you when you went for that little bit of a break to to go and sort out the problem with with your dogs, and then you came back, I had to reel myself in and probably shouldn't have done when you said, <laughs> "Oh, you know, your dog was scared because it was there going, oh, I'm, it's it's raining outside, I'm melting, and I'm suddenly going to go off into a Wizard of Oz <laughs> thing, you know, yep, with the witch yep. and the melting there." <laughs> 
you know what? I'm going to, we can go on a sidebar because I'm going to say something so blasphemous. I'm going to get roasted, but I don't care because I say something all the time that I get roasted for. Everybody growing up was like every year. Oh my God. Wizard of Oz. I love it so much. I can't wait to watch it on TV. I think they played it around Thanksgiving. I hated that movie. Okay. I did not like that movie. Later on down the road, back in the eighties, they came out to, um, have you seen return to Oz? I've seen bits of it. Yes. I love because it's more true for me to the original book and everything. And it's creepier, but the original one, I was kind of like, eh, whatever. Cause you know, we used to watch it when we were kids and I'm just like, whatever, you know, it just doesn't have the same appeal for me as the older one or the other one, the return to Oz does. So, or maybe I'm just creepy. Maybe I just want more creep factor in it. I I don't know, but yeah. So roast me. People are going to roast me because everybody loves that. It's the same way when I say E.T. I don't like the movie E.T. either. And people get, oh, ah, ah, what have you done? What have you done? Why are you saying that? (laughs) I almost wish that that Spielberg had have gone that little bit more, um, you know, less family-friendly way, in a sense, with that film. Yeah, I'm more of a Close Encounters person. Um, That movie was like the best and I watch it when I can. Um, but yeah, I don't like ET and I don't like wizard of Oz, the original or gone with the wind roast me. I don't care. <laughs> I've, I've never seen gone with the wind. So <laughs> You're not know. missing anything, but you know, no. Hey, you, you heard it from me. <laughs> I, d- I don't mind the, the original wizard of Oz, I suppose at a push, but then again, I've only ever seen the film once. Yeah. I don't know. I thought maybe it was because, you know, my family would be like, we need to watch this every year. But I watched it like when I was an adult and I'm like, I don't understand the mystique around it. But then I watched Return the Oz when I was a teenager and I was like, this is freaking amazing. Oh, my gosh. The lady changes out her heads and stuff. How awesome is this? You know? So, yeah, I. Yeah, I mean. And Gone with the Wind, I think that's like an American thing, you know, as far as like it's a tradition to watch it and whatnot. And I'm just like, I don't understand. I don't understand why. We we need to quickly come off this subject because I got a roasting from people when I pointed out about my dislike of um, Catcher in the Rye. I don't like that as a book and I'm not particularly fond of On the Road by Jack Kerouac either. You know what? I could take or leave it like I don't understand it's not that I didn't like it I don't understand the almost like people are into it and I don't understand why people are so into it Yeah. like I don't understand why they're so like crazy about it i I don't understand i'm not gonna say i don't like it but i just don't understand the mystique around it so maybe i'm missing something but you know people want to roast me i don't care (laughs) i'm not i'm not insulting anybody i'm just saying i don't like something okay (laughs) but when you say that about return to oz i mean you know and people were sort of saying oh i'm not sure about that film it's a bit dark and it's not like the, the the original film and that and i think no, but like you said, it's. I mean, I, I can't get to them at the moment. They're hidden in a uh, in a bookshelf over there somewhere that's behind other stuff. 
it's out of camera shot, so I'm not going to show anybody because it's all messy over there. And um, but I've actually got a set of the books by L. Frank Baum, so I've got, I've got the books, mm-hmm. and they are like you said, the Return to Oz is more like the books, which which yeah. are a really good read if you're open to something that's got you know you, that's well very not really anti but not disneyfied yeah exactly and i feel like the original you know wizard of oz i think is very it's very family friendly there's some questionable things in it because of when it was done you know we have different standards now but i mean i read the book after i watched that and yeah, like the Return to Oz. I think there's another movie too after that. I believe I can't even think about it right now. Um, what it's called, but they're more in line with the original books, and that's what I like about it. So I, I don't know. Maybe, like I said, maybe I'm just creepy. I don't know. I like the creepiness, the darkness of it. But can't draw anything creepy. I fail at that all the time. But yeah, I like the creepiness of it. So. But they have the same problem with the Disney version of Alice in Wonderland. Mm-hmm. That's Little Mermaid. Very, yes. I mean, if you really want to be depressed, go read The Little Mermaid. <laughs> like, that's it's pretty intense. But yeah, I mean, that's yeah, that's the thing. Like, I don't, I I don't normally like the Disneyfied stuff. I like the more grittier stuff, and I'm very particular about what I like to consume, book wise, and also like TV and movie wise. So. What's up, everybody? This is Chris from the podcast Real Film Reviewed, and you're listening to Marv on Pods Like Us. So where's the best place to find your your work and to get in touch with you? Um, probably the best spot right now is Instagram. Um, I post a lot of stuff on Instagram. Um, so it's the crescent hair, all one word. The crescent is in moon, hair is in bunny. Um, giant bunny. <laughs> um, I post most new stuff on Instagram. I post announcements and whatnot. Um, my shop is um, thecrescenthair.com. It leads you right to my big cartel. Um, I have a couple stu- new things on there right now. Um, I'm going to be putting more stuff on there. Um, as far as reaching out, um, email um, thecrescenthair at gmail.com or they can hit me up on my DMs and Instagram. I try to keep on top of those. Um, there's also a contact on my website. Um, I've forayed into like being on Reddit and some of those other things, but I'm still getting into it. Like I'm still trying to like get over that hump um, and trying to promote my art. So yeah, those are about the best spots to get me is Instagram and my email or my website. So well, I think Instagram is the perfect um, social media for that because it is a an artistic. If, if you take it, if you use it correctly, it's an artistic medium where it's about pictures anyway, for the most part. So it's it's a perfect social media for that. Oh yeah, because there's a lot of different visual stuff. Um, I just wish the algorithm would be a little bit kinder. It's been a little strange lately. So, but yeah, I practically live on Instagram for that. So it's easy. It's easy to use for us. So, yeah, I found that Instagram recently has got very random, whereas before mm-hmm. it used to be a lot better. Yeah. Um, it's burying artists right now. Like, unless you do like a fan 
like a fanfic or a, you know fan art or you do something real trendy you may get buried and nobody may see you my I have 900 and some followers only I have no idea why I don't have enough more but hey I'm still trying to figure this stuff out. Um, but yeah, I'll get like 20 likes on something. So it's kind of like, it's real weird right now. So let's I get guess you I have over to make some videos. What'd you say? Let's get you over a thousand. I know it'd be nice. It'd be nice. I just got to get, I live in a bubble in my brain where I'm creating and stuff. I got to get better with the promotion. Like I really do. And I know that. So that's my accountability. I'm going to get better with promotion people book that includes you i'm gonna promote i i promise you <laughs> <laughs> so some of us are born just to be artists and some people are born to be promotion you know good at yeah. promotion promotion hounds yeah like the machine yeah and i i have a hard time with that especially too like after i finish a piece i'm tired because i've channeled so much so it's not the easiest thing to do, you know, to do no. that. You know, you've spent all that time doing the creating that that then you sap like you said, you sapped of energy and and it's like, oh, I've got to go and promote it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, I was talking to I, I can't remember who I was talking to earlier. Um, I think Luke and Todd um and Jordan. The cryptid fade that I just did is about the best thing that I've done lately that I'm really happy with. I always have a thing where I'm nitpicky at my stuff. There's always something I don't like, or I'm like imposter syndrome is like, hey, you don't know what you're doing. You're not a real artist. But for this particular project, I'm really happy with it. So I need to get better with promoting it because it's actually something I'm really into. So. You, you know, I've um, actually thought before that of, of having yourself, Jordan, Todd, uh Vuk and possibly you know he's going back because they've not done any shows for a while but Xander from Xander and Stone and just just sort of like introduce a show or oh, the, the this is this person this person this person and then just leave the five of you to gab and then eventually <laughs> I'll just go right your time's up now there you go yeah um when keep an eye out when that um round table comes out um yeah keep an eye on that I'm sure one of us will reach out and tell you but it's going to be interesting it's going to be kind of like, what? Because <laughs> we really get into some stuff. So, and listen to the last Tracing Owls because, you know, with me on it, because that was really cool too. We really okay. got into some deep stuff, me and Vuk, as we usually do, but this one was off the wall. What <laughs> <laughs> more so than usual? <laughs> yep, more so than usual. We got into it, man. We got into it. <laughs> But don't let that put anybody off. It, like I've said earlier, it's entertaining at the same time. Oh, it's time. real good. Yeah, yeah. If you, yeah, yeah you, it, yeah. I'm not saying it's off the wall to enter, like put anybody off. I'm saying it's off the wall to where it's entertaining because we are funny, and we get into these debates, and you're like, "What are they talking about?" And then by the end of the show, you're like, "Wait a minute, I think my opinion on that has changed mm. because of something they said." I mean, we're just so ridiculous and spontaneous. I we can't help but be entertaining. So, well, I always find it interesting when I listen to 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 either you know Vuk on his own or with yourself or when he speaks with Jordan or when he speaks with Todd because there's always it's like you said you know you'll listen to the show and then after after you've listened to it you'll think hold on 
I've learned something there, but I didn't know, mm-hmm. didn't realize that I was doing at the time. Yeah. And, you know, usually like when we do a podcast, it's like when me and him are on, you know, together, it's like, it's so, it's so spontaneous and somewhat chaotic. There's some chaos energy going on there. <laughs> And synchronicity left and right. And it's almost like we tap into each other's brains. And yeah, I mean, I just, I love being on the show and I love it when people listen and they like learn something or we blow their minds about something or, you know, I I haven't had any feedback where anybody was angry about anything. Um, Not that it bothers me, Um, but (laughs) when somebody gets mad about something, but um, yeah, I mean, I... I really like doing the show with him. And I, I think the round table that we did um, coming up on another podcast is going to be really entertaining as well. So, yeah. But, but one of the most interesting things when you're both talking with each other or speaking with each other is that you'll, you'll be talking on a specific subject and then something you'll, one of you will mention something in passing or just say something Mm-hmm. As you go into, as you're carrying on, you'll just go, oh, well, is this blah, blah, blah. And then you carry on with that. And the other person picks up on it and you suddenly go off on such a tangent for a while. And then somewhere or another, I don't know how you do it, but you naturally bring it back to what you were originally talking about. But it's those little tangents where you're like, oh, it's like the show, or the conversation has a life all of its own. I think it's just the way we work. It's our dynamic. I think because I think we're both maniacs about it. So I think, and, and like I said, I think our brains connect somehow um, and we just kind of like feed off each other. So it's almost like I can tell when we need to loop back and he can tell when we need to loop back and we need to make sense of why we can, or Luke being back and what we were talking about. So yeah, it's just a thing. I can't explain it. It just happens. I think it's just because we're people that we are and we get along. So. That's just the way it happens, I guess. It's that podcast magic. It is. <laughs> right, and back to the pod, podcast magic now then. So um, you can find me just by looking for pods like us everywhere, Twitter, Instagram, and uh, TikTok. And you can contact me through podslikeus at gmail.com. Anyway, thanks for speaking with me today, Christina. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. It was really fun. Thanks for having me on. I'm glad I finally got to come on. Me so, too. Me too. The stars aligned just right. The planets lined up and it all happened. <laughs> I'm almost tempted to ask for artwork that's got that on the stars and then the alignment of. <laughs> um, yeah. If you ever need anything, just let me know. Okay. Anyway, thank you everyone for listening. And I hope you listen again to another episode of Pods Like Us. still keep meaning to actually get a show with lots of artists on to discuss the whole uh, in more detail discuss the subject of how artwork is used in 
you know, as a promotional tool, like like with logos and even back when I was younger with the, uh, you know, album covers, which obviously Mm -hmm. kids would not know anything about album covers nowadays for the most part, because it's a little picture on their on their phone. On their streaming, yep. Yes, and that's it. Yep. Well, I'm 45, so I know all about album covers. Yeah. So, yeah, I I'm, I remember all that stuff. So, <laughs> I used to be one of the sad ones who'd buy the album and then sit down on the floor with the record on the record deck, and then while that's doing, I'd read it from back from front to back. I'd read everything on there and look at all the artwork and think, now what does that artwork mean? What are they trying to say through this? And you know, I, I used to love the fact that some artists used to use pictures for and they used to have them for like individual songs as though that mm-hmm. artwork was telling the story of that song or something. I used to find that interest in the the marriage of the music arts with with pictures and paintings and photographs. Yeah, I mean right now it's like that's lacking. To me, when I look at, so like if I'm on Spotify and I'm listening to, you know, my music, I just see this little cube. I remember doing the same thing you did. I would go to thrift stores and stuff looking for records. And a lot of times I would get them because of what was on the cover. Like I wanted to sit down and study it. Like I wanted to see how they did something. And then we graduated to cassette tapes, which had the fold outs. You could unfold them and see all that stuff and there was still some art going on with that and then we went to the cds still a little bit of art going on with that but then now it's kind of like okay and now records are coming back again so it's like you know i remember all that i remember being into the art album art a lot i think is you think that that bit's interesting that the big vinyl records have come are coming back into into being really and being so popular and particularly with younger artists as well, younger musicians mm-hmm. who now actually spend the time. It's like they've gone back to wanting to have it as a visceral, physical products now, unlike all the years recently where it's not been like that. Yeah, like they'll have like limited editions and stuff like that. Like, you know, oh, we have a thousand of this and it's printed on special vinyl and all this other stuff. And I'm like, that's really cool. Like, that's really super cool. But I still love a lot of the old school artwork on the older albums. It's just, I just love it. So. But you also know the artists who are from that age, even if they weren't artists back then, you know those people that are influenced or inspired by that. Because when you've bought CDs over recent years, you'll Mm -hmm. find those people release CDs that have a package to them and have all that in there. Whereas people who haven't been brought up with that, artists who haven't been brought up with that recently, it's just a standard, oh, this is your front cover picture and here's the list of the songs and who wrote it and who produced it and that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I can't, I can't even tell you the last time I bought a CD, but <laughs> it's been a minute. I don't even have a CD, but wait, I have a CD player in my car. I just don't use it because I use Bluetooth and hook up to my streaming on my phone, you know, what, what the kids are doing these days, but um, yeah, you can definitely tell like when somebody has been influenced, like back in design school, we had to package, we had to do a package for a CD. We had to pick somebody, pick a band, somebody like that. 
we had to reimagine a package a package CD for them and actually yeah. create it. Like I had to go find a jewel case and actually get stuff printed out and I had to like cut it out and everything like that. So yeah, mine was very seventies when I cool. did mine. A bit, bit so, like a bit like a yes album cover or a Genesis album cover. Yeah, I did. Um, I did the band keen. Okay. One of their albums under the iron sea is like one of my favorites. Yeah. Um, and I love the cover art. Um, I did like this geometric kind of like, yeah, it was like those older bands like Rush or Yes or one of those bands where they have some of the geom- Pink Floyd, some of the geometric stuff. Yeah. That's what I did for them. Um, and I did like a fold out and it was like all these strange colors and weird typography that I found and of course my typography teacher was just like I don't know about this and I'm like well it doesn't have to be perfect it's art (laughs) but you know yeah but I yeah so I've done packaging for that so it was pretty cool right we'll get this started now we've got we've gone into show mode already I think all right yeah (laughs) 